Coming off a highly successful season, three Seahawks are finalists for major NFL awards. Which player has the best chance to bring home the hardware as we get closer to the NFL Honor Show? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Joining me for our Wednesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Illinois, Florida, or Japan. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We are now into our third week of the offseason, and that means we're going to continue breaking down awards. We're going to be taking a look at some of the NFL awards, the real ones. You know, we just like to, you know, joke around about who our award selections are, but we now have three Seahawks finalists that will be breaking down which one has the best chance to actually bring home the hardware and will continue our postseason grade card looking at the cornerback group jam-packed episode coming your way courtesy of Alderman Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise, then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit alderman-gm.com or look it up in the App Store. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. After a successful 9-8 season that culminated in a surprising playoff berth, the Seahawks have three players that have been nominated as finalists for major awards through the Associated Press that will be announced at the NFL Honors Show leading up to the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. It's been a while since we've been talking about a Seahawks player being nominated for one of these awards, but Rob, when you have such an outstanding rookie class, like the Seattle Seahawks had, along with the New York Jets, both those teams having two representatives for Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year. And you also have an incredible story like Geno Smith emerging from the rubble after seven years as a backup to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. You're going to have a really good chance to have several players potentially win one of these major awards. And that's exactly the case for all three names. I mentioned there, Tariq Woolen, Ken Walker III, and Geno Smith. Yeah, in corporate, I've been following the Seahawks basically all my life. I, I can't remember a single season in which the Seahawks had three different players that were up for a, a re, a, awards uh, at this point in the season. And so, you know, while it's obviously disappointing that the Seahawks are not still playing, it, it is definitely acknowledgement that Seattle had a spectacular year. They had an unbelievable draft class, and they have a number of players who deserve a great deal of acknowledgement. So what we're going to be talking about here today, of course, is Gino Smith, who is on the official finalist list for the Comeback Player of the Year in the NFL, as well as the Offensive and Defensive Rookies of the Year, and Ken Walker III and Tariq Woolen on the defensive side. I, I think, frankly, that, that Seattle should have a fourth candidate when it comes to award winners. And I think that Pete Carroll should be on that list of the possible head coaches of the year. That, unfortunately, is not going to happen. Pete Carroll was not among the head coaches who was nominated as a finalist for head coach of the year this season. So if we were to shift our attention back to the players, 
then that to me is really a, a fascinating kind of conversation to have here. Who is the most likely of Seattle's big three to be able to take home the hardware? Do any of them win? I'll, I'll just throw out my opinion real quick here, Corbett. I, I really think that Geno Smith is probably the most likely to win because he's a quarterback and there's a lot of people across the NFL who maybe don't watch much football, but pay attention at least a little bit. And Geno Smith's production this season, his ascension, excuse me, as a Pro Bowl quarterback in his first season, almost 10, um, as a starter, I, I think has got enough attention that he probably is the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak, to actually come home with the hardware. But I have a hard time arguing against Tariq Woolen winning Defensive Rookie of the Year. I don't know that's going to happen. I just think it should. And that's one of the things that disappoints me the most. And I would argue the same thing a little bit with Ken Walker because I think he was absolutely dynamic. Again, it's just a little bit of acknowledgement that considering what Brock Purdy did as a quarterback and just knowing how important that position is, I would not be surprised at all if Brock Purdy, what he did in the last month of the NFL's regular season, if he might not just steal that award away, or perhaps you get a wide receiver like a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave. Again, East Coast guys and East Coast media are the ones who often vote on these things. I would not be surprised if they stole that away. But I think, again, just my opinion, I think Seattle could go a clean sweep on this. I think all three of Seattle's candidates, Geno Smith, Ken Walker III, and Tariq Woolen, all of them, deserve this honor if they are so earning that um, from the NFL uh, vote makers. Yeah, you know, it'd be nice to see all three of these players win, but I would tend to agree with you that Geno Smith probably has the best opportunity of the three. We already saw the Pro Football Writers Association select two New York Jets rookies, Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner, as their rookies of the year. I would not be surprised at all if AP voting ends up going exactly the same. And Based on how the season finished, I would have absolutely no issue with Sauce Gardner winning Rookie of the Year. In fact, in my Pro Football Writers Association ballot, I actually turned to Sauce Gardner. Sorry, 12s, but I picked him. I'm sorry. When you give up a 46% completion percentage, only one touchdown, and he had 20 pass breakups, the numbers just jumped out to me enough at that point. And Tariq Woolen had kind of a rough ending to the season, too. So ultimately, I was torn on that one, but I went with Sauce Gardner because there were just too many numbers staring at me like those are elite numbers for a shutdown corner, even with the additional turnovers that Tariq Woolen had. Maybe the voting will be different with AP voters considering interceptions and fumble recoveries much more highly than what the Pro Football Writers Association did. If that happens, then Tariq Woolen has a great chance. And on the offensive side, I have an issue with Brock Purdy being up for this award. I know that what he's doing right now is phenomenal for the 49ers, and he has a chance to lead them to a Super Bowl championship, but he played like a third of the season, so I have major issues with that. Chris Olave is not even a finalist. He should be one of the three finalists with over 1,000 receiving yards. To me, it's a travesty he's not on this list. This is not a one-third of the season award. And so I understand it's the quarterback position, but to me, that should be between Ken Walker, the third and Garrett Wilson, Wilson with over 1100 receiving yards. He only has four touchdowns. That would be my argument. Ken Walker, the third behind an iffy offensive line at times this year had nine touchdowns and over a thousand rushing yards. And he didn't become a starter until week five. And so I think there's plenty of arguments there, but at the end of the day, Geno Smith, really the voting is going to come down to, do they consider him a comeback player 
when he isn't coming back from an injury, he's just coming back from the abyss of being a backup for seven years. I think he's more than worthy of winning that one. But I would make the argument that Geno Smith of those three has the most realistic chance. And quite frankly, our fans agreed, Rob, the poll that we put up today asking which of these three players had the best shot to win the postseason award. Geno Smith coming in first, 54.1%. Ken Walker, the third and second with 38.8. And this tells you where things stand in the defensive rookie of the year conversation. 7.2% picked Tariq Woolen. As great as his season was, again, you can't really overlook what Sauce Gardner did when you look at the entire body of work. And with him already winning the Pro Football Writers Association award, it seems like at this point that he's already got a foot in the door as a first team all pro selection to win this award. Yeah, he probably does. It still pisses me off, honestly, <laughs> because I mean, he, he was statistically dominant. I'll, I'll give him that. But we talked about this in a previous show, Corbin. I mean, what offensive and defensive rookie of the year awards, MVP awards in the past have been is who creates the best at big plays. And yeah. that's where the Seahawks really, their two rookies have absolutely dominated. In this respect, certainly with Tariq Woolen. I mean, he's got five times the number of interceptions. I get six times, actually, the number of interceptions that Soft Gardner has. So I, I get it. And I, and I certainly respect you for voting for somebody who is not your the team that you cover because there are an awful lot of media media members out there who basically just have kind of blinders on their eyes. All they do is just watch their own team. And so they yep. report on their own team or the players that their team plays in their division. And that's why you see so many of the East teams win these awards over and over and over again. I, I think that's one of the exciting things for Seahawks fans is that they don't win a lot of awards they just compete for playoff opportunities, which, again, you don't see very often in the East side. Uh, but I, I do think that it is sad, frankly, that to see Tariq Woolen get seven plus percent, uh, you know, of the votes, I, I, that is a little bit disappointing to me because because. Honestly, Corbin, I really thought that Tariq Woolen was spectacular this past season. I think that he should be more of a national story considering how well he played, how raw he was, how damn good that Pete Carroll and his coaching staff was in getting this raw fifth-round rookie capable of playing not only at the end of the season, as you just pointed out with Brock Purdy and some of the other rookies that might get a little bit of love this year. But Tariq Woolen was a starter in game one. And that, to me, is one of the real stunners of this. And why, again, I argue that Pete Carroll should also be a one among the Seahawks who is getting some consideration for a rookie or for an award right now. Yeah, I don't think that we would call Pete Carroll a rookie necessarily, but <laughs> no. coach of the year, absolutely. I am a little bit surprised about that. I'm sure we'll have some time to discuss that particular issue maybe on tomorrow's episode hint hint uh we'll see what happens on that front but certainly Pete Carroll had a phenomenal season getting this team to the playoffs after trading Russell Wilson and releasing Bobby Wagner nobody thought they were going to the postseason except in their own building anyway moving forward to the next segment we are going to continue our Locked on Seahawks awards on the defensive side of the football, defensive MVP, top rookie, most improved, and a number of other awards. We're going to get to those in a moment here on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. If you're dreaming 
of taking over your own franchise and managing every strategic aspect of your team, this app is the one for you. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of a season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and is playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. I'm currently managing the Honolulu Sharks. And quite frankly, if this was real life, I probably would be unemployed. The first three seasons have been an absolute disaster. But I'm hoping that we'll finally turn the corner and get back into playoff contention in our league against other Locked On hosts. It's a blast and our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league. Locked On Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store. That's locked on in all caps. So make sure to check it out today to download the game. Just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether this is your first time listening to Rob and I ramble about the Seahawks or you are a regular listener and you tolerate us rambling about the Seahawks day in, day out. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to support the podcast. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast to get the daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories, in-depth analysis, and the biggest games. And on Mondays, local insiders cover the weekend with game-to-game episodes. Locked On NFL is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, yesterday we had our chance. We do this every year. Usually we wait till a week or so after the season but we dish out our end-of-year awards. And this season, we're doing it a little bit different. Rather than in one episode knocking them all out, we're doing a more extended offense, a more extended defensive one. And today, it's time for defense. And without further ado, let's get to the defensive MVP. And, And I think that this one is a lot like the offensive MVP, where it's very clear there's one player that's head and shoulders above everyone else that from week one till the playoff loss in San Francisco was Seattle's most dominant, most productive player. You're absolutely right. And just like we voted on Geno Smith being that player on the offensive side of the ball, I think that anybody who paid any attention to what the Seahawks did all season long, and that to me is key here, is Uchenna Nwosu and what he was able to bring the Seahawks as an outside pass rusher. Now, you know, our, our longtime Locked On Seahawks listeners, and again, thank you, as Corbin said, thank you so very much to all of you. You, you might remember that I argue that Jordan Brooks should get this award when we had this conversation at the halfway point. But of course, Jordan Brooks didn't finish this season. We are among those analysts, Corbin, as you well know, who actually pay attention to our clubs the entire season long. And as good as Jordan Brooks was, and he was good this year, but Uchenna Nuosu at times was great. He was spectacular. He was among the best players in all of the NFL, at least when it comes to the additions. And so I do think that he deserves this acknowledgement. Again, Jordan Brooks is a good football player, but Uchenna Nuosu was great at times this season. I think that he absolutely deserves this award. I have a hard time understanding anybody's rationale of who else they could vote for this honor for the Seahawks. Actually, another player for this award because I thought Ryan Neal at least for half the season had that kind of an impact from week six till about week 12 and he played well in other games but he was dominant during that stretch but again these are awards based on an entire season and I just at that point was like you know especially with him missing three games late in the year with an injury 
as much as I like Ryan Neal and as good of a season he had. I, I can't go there. Uchenna Nwosu had more than 60 pressures on the quarterback this year. He had nine and a half sacks. He had 12 tackles for a loss. Rob, I think he was fantastic against the run most of the time. There were a few missed opportunities this year, but on a defense that really couldn't stop anybody from running the football most of this year, I don't think number 10 was really part of the problem. Teams were running away from him with a great level of success. When they ran at him, he typically shut him down. He did a good job setting the edge. He forced a couple fumbles. That Broncos game, he had two of them at the goal line that he was involved with. Everybody knows how key those were to beating Russell Wilson in his return to Seattle. He had several pass breakups to the line of scrimmage. He had a couple nice plays dropping back in coverage. He did a little bit of everything, and I think he ended up being a bargain. We've talked about this already this offseason. I think he needs an extension after he signed a two-year contract last spring. I'd be offering him a four-year contract right now at 26 years of age. We want you to be one of our building blocks on this football team moving forward. And we saw in the playoff game three tackles for loss against the 49ers run game. He was maybe the only player on that defense that had a good game from start to finish and was giving the 49ers a lot of problems. That's a testament to the type of player that he is. Now, moving on to the next one, we're going to do top skill player. And on defense, that means linebackers corners, safeties, and I suppose you can include pass rushers in here because those guys are pretty darn good athletes too. And you and I were debating on this one a little bit before the show, but this is another one that feels like it's really difficult to make an argument for anyone other than one particular player. Yeah, for Tariq Woolen, I think that you could make an argument again for Nuchana Nuoso. I think you can make an argument again for a guy like Jordan Brooks, maybe even Quandre Diggs, maybe even Ryan Neal. But if you want to start from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, it's got to be Tariq Woolen. I mean, I don't care that he was a rookie. He was Seattle's most consistent defender on the back half of the defense, those quote-unquote skill positions. And talk about skill. I, I've There's a former offensive lineman, Myself, Corbin, and again, this is going back years, high school level. I was never anything close to the talent, the, the preparation, of course, the gentleman that we're talking about today. But I always struggle with the idea of calling anybody a skill position player and not acknowledging all of them. But let's be real. Some of the plays that Tariq Woolen demonstrated this season, his ability to recognize, again, as raw as he was, to recognize, you know, tight end crossers and things like that, be able to just completely switch off of your primary assignment, the one that coaches have been hounding you about for weeks, and you suddenly just switch off because you see the ball in the air and you have those types of instincts, you have those types of ball skills, you have that straight line speed, you have the height and the length that Tariq Woolen has. To me, this is a best skill position player on the defensive side of the ball for the Hawks this season as well. Yeah, I think that we could make several strong arguments that we just talked about in the first quarter about why he should be rookie of the year, just with the turnover production, with six interceptions and three fumble recoveries. He's the first defender since Marcus Peter in 2016 to put up those kind of numbers in an entire season. He's the first rookie to do it since 2000. And so, you know, I'm making some arguments that I, this is literally, this was me voting on the Pro Football Writers Association ballot. I had... Sauce Gardner and Tariq Woolen on two shoulders, and I just kept going back and forth. I could not decide. And ultimately, I picked the guy that gave up less touchdowns. I think there were more mistakes by Tariq Woolen. But, man, when he was on, he made the big plays. And you could give some love to Quandre Diggs. If this was a second-half award, Quandre Diggs would have been my pick. But he was not the usual Quandre Diggs in the first half of the season. 
And Ryan Neal, he missed games with injury, wasn't a starter really till week five. It's not a half-season award. Tariq Woolen was dominant from start to finish. What a fantastic season for the fifth-round pick. Now, you mentioned it. When we talk skill players, we don't talk defensive tackles, and sometimes we don't talk pass rushers even in that regard. And It's not necessarily fair. They have their own set of skills, but they aren't the same athletes that are making the plays Tariq Woolen is making. So let's talk top defensive linemen and this was a position group that was marred by consistency issues, Rob. But there's one player in particular that you still don't think gets enough love, and we saw what it was like missing him a couple games, how that impacted the Seahawks' defense in the second half. Yeah, I think that's got to be how Woods. I mean, my goodness. You didn't talk about the guys who were most dominant at the, at the line of scrimmage. I mean, hey, I, I want to give Seattle's young players on the offensive and defensive side of the ball all the credit I can. I, I don't want to be hyping up a player who is 35 years old now and is going to be 36 years old should he return to the NFL next season. His birthday is in March. So that's not really the strategy that you want to take is having some of your best players be some of your oldest players. But my goodness, Al Woods at times was so dominant. I mean, he just, you know, he's done this the last couple of seasons. He just ragdolls guys. If you're willing to take your eyes off the ball and just focus in on the line of scrimmage, oh my goodness, Al Woods can just ragdoll people. He's fun to watch. And so to me, again, considering the entire season, and there definitely were some valleys to those peaks because, as you mentioned, he missed some time. Um, but at the same time, though the peaks were so high that I've got to go with big number 99 now, Woods, as my uh, defensive lineman, I guess, for lack of a better word, defensive lineman of the year for the Seahawks. Yeah, we've talked so much about this being a full season award, and yet – I find that hard to do with this one because every player on this defensive line had a roller coaster season. Shelby Harris maybe was the most consistent of the defensive line. And so I originally was going to pick him for this one. But again, I didn't think that he had a dominant season. I thought Quentin Jefferson, though, for eight weeks was extremely dominant. He played in every single game. And Rob, he finished 14th in the NFL among defensive tackles in quarterback pressures. He had a career high with five and a half sacks. And in the last five games alone, he had a pressure rate of 21.4%, which was better than Chris Jones, Jeffrey Simmons, and Cam Hayward. So Quentin, Je Quentin Jefferson was fantastic in the last five games of the season. He was getting after quarterbacks constantly. And I think one of the reasons that we saw Daryl Taylor explode the way he did in the last five or six games was because of the constant pressure coming from number 77 in the interior. And so while I've been arguing, we're looking for a player that has been demonstrating greatness all season long. I don't know that there's a defensive lineman on the Seahawks that did that. So I'm going to go with the player that had the highest of highs. And that was Quinton Jefferson, at least from a pass rushing standpoint. And I thought he was spectacular the last month and a half of the season. Now, real quick, top rookie. This is another one where I think we've already talked about the player and there really isn't anybody, no offense to Boy Mafe, because I thought he had moments where he flashed, but Boye Mafe just was not on the same par as Tariq Woolen with the numbers Woolen put up with him being a pro bowler, a contender for defensive rookie of the year. There really isn't an argument for Boye Mafe or Kobe Bryant with the four force fumbles. Obviously, Charles Tillman will be very happy with that, but I don't think he did enough to push Tariq Woolen for this award. Ah, you stole the glory from me. I was going to say those four force fumbles with Kobe Bryant. I was going to acknowledge <laughs> what we 
what we saw with Joey Blunt as a former undrafted free agent kind of got himself a little bit of time. And as you said, with Boye Mafe, obviously flash at times, but I, I have to agree with you as much as I want to argue with you a little bit. I'm just in that kind of argumentative mood today, I guess, but I, I, I do agree. The Tariq Woolen was absolutely spectacular. There is a reason why he is among the NFL's three finalists for defensive rookie of the year. I think clearly he was Seattle's top rookie, at least in the defensive side of the ball of the season. Yeah, you can make some arguments if you wanted to at least do honorable mention. Boy, Mafe was very good against the run. He had three sacks with limited pressures. Kobe Bryant with his forced fumbles had two sacks. They had other rookies that contributed, but there's contributing and there's becoming a superstar as a rookie. And that's what Tariq Woolen did. And so this award clearly belongs to him. Last but not least, Rob, real quick, our final defensive award. Most improved of all the awards we had here, this was actually the toughest one for me. I had four players that I was basically flipping coins between trying to figure this one out. I, I was too. Uh, I'm, not, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because mine actually is a starting linebacker and Cody Barton. Uh, you know, I, I look back over his numbers. And of course, Cody Barton is, uh, you know, finishing up his rookie contract. He is now or soon will be an uh, NFL free agent. Corbin, last year he had 36 tackles. This season he had 137 I mean, to jump up that much, to me, that is the very definition of most improved. That's why with a great deal of acknowledgement to some of the other players that are out there, I think that you have to give a little bit of credit to number 57. Cody Barton, I thought who he was in September and who he was in December for the Seahawks were two vastly different players. And again, the production speaks for itself. That's why for me, Cody Barton is Seattle's most defensive uh, or most improved defensive player of the year. And if you look at pro football focus numbers, I'm not looking at grades. I'm looking at statistics. Cody Barton was a top five linebacker in coverage in the second half of the season. That was obvious watching the film. Were there, were there still some mistakes? Yeah, he wasn't perfect, but he clearly improved. So Barton was a player that I considered. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know how much I've been talking the entire second half, how much better he was playing. But I consider Ryan Neal here with him getting all pro votes, former undrafted guy that almost retired from the game three years ago. I mean, you could make strong arguments for him, but I actually am going to go with the guy across from Tariq Woolen, and I talked about him a little bit in an episode late last week that I think Mike Jackson deserves a little bit more respect for the job that he did at the other cornerback spot. But Rob, this is a kid that had bounced around with three other teams before the Seahawks got him. He had never started a game he was a fifth-round pick for the Cowboys, but he spent time in New England. He bounced around with a couple other teams. And then he comes to Seattle, and he was on the practice squad most of the 2021 season, but he impressed it in the game against the Lions late last year. They loved what they saw in training camp, and he becomes a stunning starter at left cornerback with Sidney Jones still on the roster. They went with Mike Jackson, and he didn't give up his job to Trey Brown when he returned from injury in the second half either. There were certainly some missed opportunities for him. He missed a lot of tackles. There were some blown coverage assignments as the year went on. But still, he had more than 70 tackles. He had 11 pass breakups this season. He only gave up a handful of touchdowns in coverage. He made some key plays in the playoff game. He denied Debo Samuel in the end zone. And that was one of the best coverage plays I saw from a Seahawks defender all year long. And oh, by the way, he returned a blocked field goal from Tariq Woolen, 84 yards for a special teams touchdown. So I thought Mike Jackson 
exceeded all expectations. I didn't know if he was going to make it as the starter throughout the remainder of the year, especially when Trey Brown got back in. Yet he did. He warded off Trey Brown when he returned. They wanted to put Trey Brown in the lineup to give him some reps, and Mike Jackson didn't allow them to do so because he played well enough to keep that starting job. And so, to me, that is the definition of most improved, going from a practice squad guy to being a really solid starter in one year's time. That's a testament to the work that Mike Jackson put in and the coaching job that Pete Carroll and his staff did. Again, we can keep saying that about the corners. The coaches deserve a lot of credit for the way Mike Jackson and Tariq Woolen played this year. Speaking of corners, we're not done talking about the cornerback position because they're up next in our end-of-season report card. We're going to be looking at what went right, what went wrong, and some future prognosis for the cornerback position heading into 2023 and beyond. We return on our Wednesday episode of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America. That's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. You can be like me in this upcoming championship weekend. I'm strongly considering the Bengals at plus 1.5 to pull up the upset at Arrowhead Stadium. You can make that bet and much more. Just check out their app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets. Win or lose at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Continuing our end-of-season report card, we've looked at safeties yesterday. We looked at receivers. We are going to stay in the secondary on defense. And, Rob, this was another season. If we zoom back to May, before we saw Tariq Woolen on the practice field for the first time, before we saw Kobe Bryant on the practice field for the first time, this was a group that was expected to be experienced at corner. Artie Burns and Sidney Jones were expected to be the starters on the outside. Justin Coleman in the slot. And then here we are close to the month of the, season of the playoffs. And none of those three players that I mentioned played more than 55 defensive snaps the entire season. It was a youth movement in the secondary. And quite frankly, it was a highly successful one at cornerback with Sidney Jones getting released midway through the season. Artie Burns playing, I think, like 16 snaps the entire year, was inactive more than half the games as a healthy scratch. And Justin Coleman riding the pine as just a special teams player most of the year. They still were really good this season. They were spectacular this season, considering what you just said you just said there. I mean, I I'm not sure that there's a secondary in the NFL, Corbin, that went through the transition that Seattle's did this year. And then again, oh, by the way, they made the playoffs. I mean, again, it's one of the reasons why Pete Carroll and his coach deserve an awful lot of credit because, again, longtime Locked on Seahawk listeners know that, of course, Pete Carroll's background is in the secondary. He's a former safety himself, the University of Pacific, all those years ago, and that certainly is what he has specialized in. There's a reason why the Legion of Boom was, you know, 
the Legion of Boom. And a big part of it is because the Pete Carroll is just that darn good when it comes to coaching the secondary. So the transition that Seattle made, as you said, the expectation was that it was going to be Artie Burns, Sidney Jones, Jamal Adams, and none of, of those guys wound up becoming players for Seattle. Um, you know, and, and Justin Coleman, again, at the nickel cornerback spot, as you mentioned, to see Seattle make that switch to Mike Jackson, uh, you know, he bounced around the NFL, as we just talked about. So is a very, and I thought that you made an excellent argument for him as Seattle's uh, most improved defensive player a moment ago. Um, and then, of course, the two rookies in Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. To see the, the revolving door that was at strong safety, I mean, it didn't really matter that much in terms of production for Seahawks and for Seahawks fans, whether it was Jamal Adams, whether it was Josh Jones, whether it was, you know, Ryan Neal. Whether it was again, uh, you know, Joey Blunt at the safety position, Jonathan Abram at the safety as a strong safety position, Seattle kept. We just listed like a third of the safeties in the NFL. <laughs> it feels like it, and that, that's my point, you know. And so I, I think that I, I had the opportunity on the way home today from school to listen to Seahawks general manager John Schneider join Ian Furness and just kind of talk about. The plan, the Seahawks plans for the future. And he and, and John Schneider talked about the exit interviews. And I thought I can just imagine Pete Carroll and John Schneider doing exit interviews with their cornerbacks and just putting their feet up saying, where do you plan on going on your off season? I hope that you enjoy Cancun or whatever, because corner is such a strong position for the Seahawks. And a year ago, it was not. And that, to me, is probably the best indication of why Seahawks fans should be excited about the future of this club is because this team does a spectacular job of turning over talent and nowhere better than at the cornerback position. So super excited about what we are going to see in the future for Seahawks fans from Tariq Wollin, from Kobe Bryant, from Trey Brown, from Mike Jackson, from the number of young, talented cornerbacks that the Seahawks have on their roster. Yeah, and it's funny with all of the praise that we're heaping on you and I before the show, we agreed that this group went through some young player lumps. We saw it from Kobe Bryant with the missed tackles, and he had a 100 plus passer rating against in the slot. Tariq Woolen gave up five touchdowns. Mike Jackson missed a bunch of tackles, and yet we've still got to give this group a solid B again because of what expectations were coming into the season. Nobody thought Tariq Woolen and Mike Jackson were going to be the starters at corner in week one. And then you had a lot of people when those two were announced the starters that thought, Oh boy, that's not a good situation. Teams are going to be airing it out on this Seahawks defense nonstop. And that is not what happened. And a lot of it had to do with Tariq Woolen just quickly growing into the traits that he has and showing the instincts you mentioned. I mean, I watched him. At UTSA, I watched a bunch of his film because I saw the height, I saw the length and the speed, and I thought this is the kind of prospect that Pete Carroll is going to be drooling over. But when I watched UTSA film, and we talked about this in the post-draft process too, I did not see a kid that was going to be ready to play on defense as a rookie. Maybe in year two he would be. I did not see a kid with instincts. I didn't see the ball skills from a former receiver that you expected to see. And then he suddenly, the light switches came on, and suddenly he's picking everything off left and right. And he's showing the instincts of a five-year veteran. And there were certainly some mistakes in there. But that was the big reason this cornerback group ascended the way they did. When you have a rising superstar like that, and then Mike Jackson doing a really solid job at left corner. Kobe Bryant had never played slot corner before. 
at any other level. So that was going to have major growing pains. You saw it early in the season. He gave up a long touchdown the first game of the year to Russell Wilson. Got beat in the slot downfield on a vertical by Jerry Judy. Missed a bunch of tackles, but he grew up as the season progressed. The former Jim Thorpe Award winner showing off his versatility, getting sacks, finding his way to punch the football out. Yeah, exactly. And again, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited that we are continuing this conversation here about the Seattle's different positional groups and and focusing in on the cornerbacks. I, I think that you could make an argument and you don't have to work that hard. That cornerback is the strongest position on Seattle's defense. And it is the only position, in my opinion, that Seattle, frankly, doesn't have to worry about in this year's NFL draft or in free agency. You only have a couple of cornerbacks who are technically uh, on, on the free agent market. I mean, as you mentioned before with Justin Coleman, you know, he basically was, uh, you know, on, on the uh, you know, not going to play for, for the Seahawks in the inactive list for most of their games this season. He previously, of course, anybody who's been listening to us for years or been paying attention to the Seahawks know that Justin Coleman has been a very good nickel cornerback for this club and other clubs, Detroit Lions especially, in the past. And yet Seattle was able to kind of replace him. Tease Tabor is the other one who was a free agent, but he played most of his time in Seattle at the safety position. So again, this is a position that Seattle should feel very strong I mentioned, in a, you know, on a different note, I, of course, cover the NFL draft, and I do think that this 2023 draft class is exceptional at the cornerback position. And so because of that, I think there's going to be a lot of people out there with Seattle having a couple of first-round picks, a couple of second-round picks, 10 picks overall, and you know the trader John Schneider might try to build upon that number. There's going to be a lot of push to get another cornerback. I get it. Trying to stop today's NFL passing attacks is critical. You need to have good cornerbacks. But that is the one position that I do feel very good about Seattle's defense moving forward is a cornerback. Again, I agree with you on that B grade. The Seattle's corners weren't perfect, but I thought entering the season, I thought a D as in dog was going to be the likelier grade that we'd be giving Seattle's cornerbacks at this point in the year. And certainly what I was thinking that Seattle's cornerbacks would have deserved a year and a half ago when they were historically the worst pass defense in all of the NFL. The transition that Seattle has been able to make in the last year and a half is, again, one of the more important reasons why I think that Pete Carroll's coaching staff deserved a little bit more praise from some of the media members out there voting for these awards. Yeah, I think you look towards 2023. Mike Jackson, I've been singing his praises the last couple of weeks. I thought he had a very solid season, but you certainly cannot rest in your laurels because you know that John Schneider is probably going to draft a corner at some point. They have 10 picks. I would be very surprised if one of those, if not two of them, are cornerbacks that they bring in to compete. Might be might bring in another big body corner. There are several of them that are intriguing in this class. And then Trey Brown, he only played in six games this year coming off that severe knee injury. He's going to be a full year removed from that injury and the rehab. So he's going to be chomping at the bit to get his starting job back at left corner. And so I think you're going to have a very fun competition play out there. I wouldn't count out Mike Jackson keeping his job, but Trey Brown's going to be gunning for it. They may have a rookie that comes in and a group that already has a very bright future. 
if you add another really good rookie to the mix and Trey Brown returns to his rookie form from a couple of years ago, this group has a chance to be one of the best corner groups in the NFL moving forward as long as they continue to develop and continue to get coached up by Pete Carroll and his staff. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Thursday episode, I'll be joined by my co-host, Dallas Cooper and the two of us will be digging into Seattle's offensive depth chart and taking a look at players we think are locks to be back next year, players that may be on the bubble and players that are soon going to have the door hitting them on their way out. It's going to be a really fun episode. You won't want to miss it. That'll be coming up for our Thursday show. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday and thanks for listening. Go Hawks.